So this is an interesting uh, time of year. And when I say that, I don't mean because we're getting two bank holidays and King Charles is becoming, you know, getting coronated and everything like that. As Christians, this time of the year is the time in between the resurrection and the ascension. And uh, what does that mean? The time where Jesus conquered death, he defeated death, and then he didn't die. He ascended to heaven. He was enthroned in heaven. And, uh, you know, it's a significant time. I wonder if anybody here has begun to walk down their street and just pray. Uh, We went on a bit of a curly walk the other day. And we sort of like did two parts of our street in the, in, in the walk. And we prayed. And we prayed. There was no earth-shattering revelation or anything like that. But it's good to pray. And it's good because God will give you an opportunity at some stage. He'll give you something that you notice that you never noticed before that you need to pray into. I walked around the corner. I wish I got a photograph of it, actually. I walked around the corner on Green Lane and walked up the road. And there's a shop, Spells for £10. I was so tempted to get a sandwich board and put prayers for free <laughs> outside. There's a, there's a shop up, up there, tarot cards and selling spells and everything like that. And you just think, you don't notice that unless you walk around, unless you put legs on your prayers. And I find it easier to walk and pray because my mind wanders when I'm just sat still. But, uh, you know, walk and pray and pray for your neighbors. Pray God's blessing upon them. But... Um, Anyway, we're going to look at, um, just very briefly today, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. This is, this is Luke writing. Luke's an amazing historian. You know, ask any proper theologian, not me, you know, about Luke and uh, how, what a brilliant historian Luke was. And he's writing to a very important guy called the- Theophilus. And uh, I'm not going to go into who Theophilus was, but he was an important guy. Luke says this in in, uh, Acts 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day was taken up to heaven. After giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways, that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So there's 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And in the Bible, 40 is a very significant number. It represents two things. 40 represents preparation, and 40 also represents transformation. Preparation and transformation. In, if you look back through the Bible, in the story of the flood, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights in preparation for the transformation, the, the reset that God had planned for Noah and his family to, to carry on the, the human race. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness being prepared to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness. The end of the 40 years marked a, a critical transformation in his own life from being a shepherd leader overseeing a flock of sheep to a shepherding leader overseeing the people of God. We see also in Kings Elijah being prepared for his transformation, his new assignment 
as the prophet of God during the 40 days that he made his way up to Mount Horeb. And even in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in preparation for his transformation or his transportation into the start of his earthly ministry. So 40 is a very significant number. So what did Jesus do in those 40 days with his disciples as he prepared them for the great transformation that was to come? Do you know what? If it was me and if I was Jesus, I'd have saved all my best miracles to, to that last 40 days. And I would, I would have gone bananas. I would have absolutely done absolutely amazing miracles, left, right, and center all over the place, absolutely proving who I was. And actually, Jesus did do amazing miracles. He rose from the dead. <laughs> he ascended to heaven. Amazing miracles. But that's not chiefly what he did. It's not chiefly what he did. You know, that passion narrative of the the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection, it's well known and it's often portrayed in all kinds of things like artistic uh, paintings and reenactments and preachers preaching about it in, in church. But there's not an awful lot talked about that space from the resurrection to the ascension. We've got Pentecost coming up. Pentecost is 10 days after the ascension. So we'll go on to that in, uh, in future weeks. But 40 was an important time. What did Jesus do in that time? Matthew and Mark, they don't write very much about it. Their, their accounts are comparatively shorter than Luke and John's. But it is a significant time. And if you read through all the Gospels, Jesus appears 10 times in his risen, uh, in his risen body. Five of which occur on the day of his resurrection and fired further times before his ascension. So what does he actually do? Interestingly, and we'll probably get a cheer from 50% of people here, he appeared to women. He appeared first to women. And I want to say, Jesus loves the used and the abused. Because that's what the women were in that particular day and age. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, teacher. So Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene before any other person. Having just seen the empty tomb, she remains in the garden. She mistakes him for the gardener. But when she hears the voice of Jesus, she knows who it is. And she's encouraged. And then he tells her to go and tell the rest of the disciples. He trusts her to go and tell all the other followers of Jesus. He trusts in a woman. The second appearance was to a group of women who'd been with Mary. And as they're on their way from leaving that, 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 that scene, Jesus appears to them. 
He comes up to them and they take hold of his, his feet and they, they worship him. So he, he appears to women. And women are the used and the abused of that particular day and age. The idea that a woman, the witness of a woman, would be valid in that day and age, well, of course, today it would be, but not in that day and age. A woman's word was to be doubted, was to be scorned, was to be just uh, disregarded. The testimony of the woman was not stood in the right standing as it should have been. And that's what it was. So for Jesus to appear to women and to trust women to take his message forward was revolutionary. Jesus is emphasizing his love, not just for women, but for the used people, for the abused people. And what he's doing, he's asserting that no matter what social standing a person has, or what hurtful history you may have experienced, he's preparing you for that transformation. And that might be exactly you sat here in the church or maybe online. Maybe you've had an awful history, a hurtful history. Jesus is encouraging you because you're the sort of people that he trusts with his message. So he appeared to women. Secondly, he ate with his disciples. Now, everything's gone wrong for us this morning, but in the disciples' mind, everything had gone wrong. Jesus had been crucified, and then his body was gone, and they didn't really know what to think or what to, what to believe. They were fearful. They knew that they were in for it from the authorities and from the chief priests. They'd walked away from Jesus, Jesus had told them, you're all going to desert me, and they did. So they were fearful, and they were failures. Jesus loves the fearful. He loves the failures. Later that day on the road to Emmaus, there were the two disciples. It, their head was in a whirl. They were probably thinking, well, it was good while it lasted, but let's go home now. One of them was called Cleopas. We don't even know the, uh, the second guy's name, but... They were slow to realize that the man that had joined them along the road was the risen Messiah. It wasn't until he ate with them, he spent time with them, he broke bread, that they realized that this was the risen Jesus. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And it was not until they recognized Jesus that they realized that he'd not abandoned them. He'd not left them. He was there with them. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was talking to us? And John's gospel writes this, when they got there, oh sorry, John's gospel writes, as I read earlier, when they got there, they found breakfast was waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Jesus appeared to and ate with the disciples that were going back to, to Emmaus. Jesus appeared and ate with the disciples by the riverbank. He'd made breakfast for them. When you eat with someone in that time, you're communicating huge stuff. You're communicating acceptance. You're communicating welcome. A place in your home, a place at your table. And we know that Jesus didn't have a place to rest his head. So what he did, he made breakfast where he was. 
for his disciples and he, he ate with them. It was an intimate thing to eat with someone. It showed genuine relationship. Now the disciples had all abandoned Jesus. They'd run in fear after his crucifixion and no doubt they felt complete failures. And yet here was Jesus inviting them back into fellowship. Do we have any fearful people here today? Oh, sorry. Well, if you're fearful, you won't put your hand up, would you? <laughs> Do we have any failures here today? I'm first with my hand up. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you if you're fearful or if you're a failure. He invites you back into that relationship. He assures you that he wants to spend time with you. He invites you to come and eat, to share the intimacy of a, a relationship with him. He wants to make you no longer a failure, no longer fearful. Jesus appeared to Thomas. And I want to say Jesus loves the left outs and the doubters. We all know the, the narrative of doubting Thomas. He had not been with the disciples when Jesus revealed himself. And he didn't believe their testimony. So he said, well, unless I see the nail marks, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And in this amazing encounter, we see both the compassion and the challenge that Jesus brings. Rather than leaving Thomas on the outside without faith, Jesus came and he stood among them all and he stood in front of Thomas and he said, put, my, put your hands where the nails were, Thomas. See, stop doubting and believe. And I really, really don't believe that Jesus did that in a scornful way. I think he did it in a loving way. You see, Thomas had lived with a name that God had never given him. And for centuries, he's been called Doubting. Doubting Thomas. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I've not called some of the things that I've, I've done in, in my life. And yet, who didn't doubt in that day and age? They were all doubters, every single one of us. And more to the point, who doesn't doubt? We all have times where we think, oh, is this real? Is this really it? Even John the Baptist, he, he sent the, his disciples to say to Jesus, are you really the one? Some commentators wonder if Thomas was also struggling with the fact that everyone else had seen the risen Jesus and not him. He felt left out. He felt overlooked. Jesus turns up in everybody else's life, but not mine. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe somebody else seems to be great at telling testimonies and how Jesus did this and how Jesus did that. And you're scratching around to think, well, I, I, maybe. Nevertheless, when you're a doubter or a struggler, Jesus is so concerned that you don't remain in that position. He's got an important work in his kingdom for you to do. He wants you to put that failure away. And be confident. Be confident. He sends his Holy Spirit. What for? For boldness. For boldness. I, I was like the shyest kid in the class 
when I was in school, I would not have, uh, I would have died if you'd have told me that this was my job now. But I have to say, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was a transformation. And I didn't become gobby or anything like that. I just became confident. Confident. If you're not a confident person, maybe, maybe pray that God will give you his Holy Spirit. What a, what a time to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as we lead up to Pentecost. Be praying. Be praying. As, as Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then Jesus comes to Peter. Jesus comes to Peter. Yes, he was the gobby one. But what does he do with Peter? He restores and he reinstates Peter. You see, Jesus loves the backslidden and the beleaguered. The Gospel of John tells a story of Jesus' last recorded miracle. When he overwhelms his disciples with the, the huge catch of fish. Yes, it's a, it's a brilliant miracle. Perhaps he did save some of the best ones to, to last. But it speaks privately to Peter, this, this instance. And I, I wonder if Jesus drew, drew Peter aside and didn't want to show him up in front of anybody. But just like Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus just says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says it three times. And instead of rubbing salt into the wounds, Jesus restores Peter. He reinstates him. Feed my sheep. Follow me, he says. You see, Jesus' faithfulness to us is far greater than our faithfulness to him. Jesus saw Peter's weakness, and yet he also had a love for him, and he chose to stand by him, and he knew Peter's limitations, but he didn't allow Peter to be defined by them. That's why I don't think Jesus called Thomas doubting Thomas. You see, if Peter lived today, he would probably describe himself as a backslider, He's let Jesus down in a big way and he's, he's lost all hope, really, that Jesus will ever, ever have him back. He's beleaguered. He's beaten up. But maybe, maybe that's where you are right now. Well, be encouraged. Jesus loves the backslider. He loves the beleaguered. Take heart. Jesus doesn't turn his back on Peter. He doesn't pour scorn on Peter. He doesn't even reluctantly admit Peter back into the gang. He says to Peter, you're the rock. You're the rock. I'm going to build my church. He restores him fully. See, Matthew and Mark both close their Gospels with Jesus giving the followers the great commission. Go into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples. Spread this good news of salvation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. You might think that in that last 40 days before Jesus ascended to heaven to be enthroned, that he would go around doing amazing miracles, left, right, and center. 
to convince more and more people of his power and who he truly was. But he didn't. Not that he didn't do anything, but what Jesus focused on was spending time with people. Spending time with the used and abused. Spending time with the backslidden, the beat up and the beleaguered. Spending time with the failures. Spending time with them and teaching them, teaching them to do the same. To sit down with people, to eat with people, wherever they're from, whatever the background, whatever their history. He doesn't just want to enroll them into some club. He tells them to get prepared for the coming Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will transform them, make them ambassadors and agents of the kingdom, enable to, to spread this message abroad. Folks, if you forget everything else about this sermon, remember this one thing. Evangelism and mission are not primarily being able to answer every difficult question about faith and God and Jesus. Leave all the apologetics to the evangelist. But God's told us to go and do evangelism. And what is evangelism? It's not a course. It's not a technique. It's about loving people. It's about spending time with people. It's about just getting to know people. Being patient with them. Being gentle with them. Learning to, to listen to them. And even the most fearful and frightened amongst us can do that. So as we come this morning, as we come in this time, which is a, an awesome time between resurrection and ascension, let's do what Jesus did. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's spend more time with people. And hey, God's given us a couple of bank holidays to do that. But that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. It's true to say that in Scripture we hear a lot about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and sometimes that makes the rest of everybody think well you know maybe I'll just muddle along then and yet every single one of us has a commission and an instruction of Jesus to share to share to speak to be normal and yet supernormal, empowered by his Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray today, Lord, that as we, your people, go about our everyday, ordinary lives, mixing with the people who we work with, who we live with, who we live next door to, Lord, help us to not be so impatient as to put people off by our weird religiosity. But Lord, just to be people who are empowered by your Holy Spirit, full of God's love, 
but also willing to take the opportunities just to share what you are all about. Lord, it's not a technique. We know that. It's not a special course that we've been on. We don't have to gain qualifications. We just have to speak to people. And Lord, if we're frightened of that, you will give us the ability. You will give us the power. And hey, once in a while, you'll do something really special. So Lord, we look to you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.